Welcome to the Goodies Pirate Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm Rob. And I'm Richard. And we're talking about Clown Virus. First broadcast as part of Series 5 on the 17th of February 1975, a Monday at 9pm. Now, I'll kick us off for this one, chaps, because I'm going to make two points. One, I think this is an incredibly well-recognised and iconic and important episode of The Goodies. It's also one I didn't enjoy much at all. Where where do you guys stand, Richard? It, it is a very iconic episode, and I think there is some quite memorable stuff in there. I enjoyed it. I agree. Look, I think it's a bit patchy, and I, I think there are some some stuff in there that probably doesn't land. But overall, I, I think it's not a bad episode. I can only echo Richard. It's not a great episode. It's one I certainly remember from my youth. I think it's more a middling episode with some good stuff thrown in, but then there's there's some other stuff there that just sort of leaves your head scratching. So, mm. Does it depend on how funny you find the whole clown stuff? Because that didn't land for me at all. I've never been one for circuses and clowns. It just it doesn't it doesn't land for me at all. No, it's not particularly amusing, so no, I was left a bit cold. And is that perhaps a reflection that this is an episode that has dated because a lot of that sort of humour and that clown stuff just isn't part of childhoods and family life these days that it might have been in the 70s or even more so in the 60s and 50s when they were growing up my notes were the clown stuff wasn't the stronger material i think the stronger material was probably where they were trying to dispose of the soup can i didn't find the clown stuff really grating okay but well we can analyze this as we go on Mm -hmm. it opens with them arriving at the u.s base so there's no sort of set up phone call or anything they just Cut straight into it. No, I did notice the sign for the US base obviously gives you a pretty fair idea where it was actually filmed, I think, and they've just they've just gone and stuck the US base thing over the top of it, maybe. But yes, over the National Trust sign. Yes. I did also have a note here. I did think that the bit at the start with the exploding hippie, I did think that was quite well done. Yeah, that, that was actually... And he's just left good. with a cross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, and of course, they show that base security there actually isn't very good because they all just sneak in behind a van on the first attempt, <laughs> which I, I kind of expected that to be a bit of a ongoing thing. They'll sort of have three or four goes at getting into the, the base, but obviously, no, they, they had to get to the plot quite quickly. Everything in there is very much of its time as well. Like, this is clearly Vietnam or, you know, just after the fall of Saigon and the withdrawal from Vietnam. It's Watergate. It's all of that sort mm. of low point of the American empire stuff. I mean, it could. this episode could only be made in mid-70s. the mid-70s, you know, maybe up until the sort of the Carter period, but you couldn't imagine making this episode, you know, during the Reagan era, for example. No. Or, or, or the George W. Bush era. Uh, what do we make of it all, though? You know, this, this American sequence. I found, I mean, look, the, the bit with the model missile base is clearly meant to emulate Vietnam, I think, as we discussed before, we press the record button. Yes. Um, the fact that the Americans lose, and of course the commies, uh, as they're called, Yes. Um, uh, immediately start. Did you notice that the audience applauded at that point where the commies win and the uh, Americans yes. lose? It, it, as you say, look, I, I would push back slightly on what you said there, Dave, about it, it being completely of its time. I can see possibly something similar being done in the latter George W. Bush era where America's currency in the world was quite low. Yes, but probably with a different tone. Oh, for sure. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying in that 
them doing some slightly dodgy stuff. Mm. Absolutely, yeah, it could be done. But it wouldn't be done with that. These guys are just so bloody useless. No, no, no. You know, they're, they're down, they're out, they're dejected. They've just lost to the Vietnamese. You know, that, that really is. You know, their, their president, where are we, was about two months away from um, resignation. Yeah, humiliation, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, look, it, it is of its time. I guess we should mention at this point the main guest actor, and given that in the last season they really moved away from the actor of the week in quite a big way, they've embraced it quite a lot here. And this is, of course, John Bluthel playing Major Charles M. Cheeseburger. Yes. I thought he was quite good. I mean, look, it's an incredibly cliched part because he really is just there to spout American cliches. Really? Look, I think once he introduces himself as Major Charles M. Cheeseburger, you know what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Uh, look, so before we analyse him in any depth, we should probably talk about his credits because there's decades of work that this guy's done. Yes. Probably most famous with audiences now for playing the role of Frank on The Vicar of Ghibli. That's right, Frank Pickle. Frank Pickle. He was in The Fifth Element. He was in Dark City. He was in Superman 3, Return of the Pink Panther. Help, Carry On Spine. So he's been in a lot of very well-remembered He, he is in pieces. a lot of stuff. Yeah. He, he is Australian. Well, he was born in Poland. He came to Australia, in, I think, in the late 30s. I think he, most of his career, uh, certainly since about 1960, has been in England because he did a lot of work with Spike Milligan. He's in most of the Q series. Yeah, I think he's one of those ones that went across at the same time as Jermaine Greer, Clive James... Barry Humphreys. Yeah, Barry Humphreys, you know, that, that generation of British uh, people. I think so. Like, he's in three or four carry-ons. He's in Casino Royale. He's in A Hard Day's Night and Help. He did a series here, if anyone's old enough to remember, a series called Home Sweet Home, which is about 1980, where he plays an Italian cab driver. Well, I've never seen it, but I've heard it mentioned, usually in the context of quaint Australian shows you would never make now. <laughs> no, there's a lot of fairly stereotypical ethnic humour, shall we say. But we digress. Look, I thought he did what the script required well. I just didn't think the script was at the standard of the goodies. It was real cheap, simple, one-note, foghorn leghorn, loud, brash American. It, it is. And look, as I said, given that's what the script demanded, I thought he was quite good as that. But I don't think it's a well-written character. And the goodies have done better. And the goodies oh, can do better. For sure. As you say, it's loud and bombastic, and it's, that can overwhelm comedy that they're trying to bring to the audience. Mm. He's obviously hired them, though, for a secret mission. We get various jokes there in references to Watergate, the recordings. That, I think, would have played better had the goodies not been consistently saying, you're not recording us, are you? <laughs> if it had been subtle and he just, you know, would t- put some on and the, the ashtrays would spin yeah. and yeah, that sort I, of thing. I must admit, I found that joke getting quite laboured. I think the number of iterations they sort of make that joke and, and go through the whole recording thing, yeah. I, I found that getting quite laboured. I think your approach to would have worked where they just don't repeat the question over and over and he just simply turns on the mechanism. Yeah, and then it would have ended with what was obviously the gag they were going for, which is with the women's bust yes. swivelling around. Yes. There was some other good stuff in that sequence. I did quite like the bit before John Bluthel comes in where they're looking at the tear gas and the laughing gas. And then the joke that David Frost has ordered several thousand cans of the clapping gas. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a joke that didn't really land for me until the David Frost brought it home. So yeah, that that was that was okay. The major has hired them to get rid of a can of tomato soup. Yes. Which, given that he puts the label on in front of them over the top of something that very clearly does not say tomato it says soup. CP seventy or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the things that I guess 
makes me struggle with this episode is that there are two paths I could go down. Either the goodies are in on it that it's not tomato soup and are therefore being con artists themselves, or the goodies genuinely believe it's tomato soup and are trying to sell it as such. The script actually, I thought, seems to fluctuate between those two things. There are moments mm. when they seem to be acting as though it is tomato soup, and moments when they clearly no, know it's, it's not, because they, you know, they're putting the red paint in it and all that sort of thing. I, I actually don't think they've quite worked out what they're doing here. No, perhaps not. I mean, there is a cultural comment I, I did over that, because the Americans were actually dumping chemical weapons and, and nerve gas and things in the sea in the early 70s. Yes. I, I think they'd stop by this time. Yes, well, there's an entire Doctor Who story premised on that concept around this time as well. Yes, indeed. Once they take the can away, of course, we then get into our, our film sequence where they have to try and dispose of it. Yes. Now, they initially decide clearly that outside the five-mile limit is a safe dumping ground. So their initial attempt is just to run it down the slipway mm. and out into the ocean. With, with Tim riding on the can, I'm not quite sure why, but Tim riding on the can. He was actually apparently uh, injured during that stunt. I'm not can, surprised. The commentary he gave around it was it was one of those stunts where he realised he was actually quite nervous about doing it and of course by the time they'd mucked around he was getting increasingly more nervous the more they mucked around setting the stump up and everything and he was really look would you just cut the bloody thing loose before I get too scared and climb down and yeah it did actually he rolled into the scene and you actually see it start to roll yeah. they cut away well he, it rolled on top of him he got his leg caught under it which I don't think it was a serious injury but he, he did certainly come away limping I think after that uh, yeah, they do various sort of jokes. I think they go for a bit of a roadrunner type trope. Oh, that, that, the the, they even go as far as getting the Acme giant soup can flipper. It just, yes. it just fits into the whole tone of the episode, which is to mine every sort of American trope that you can you can find. Yeah. Um, and that just exemplifies it. So. Well, yeah, as I said, they get the, the Acme giant soup can flipper, which, which is straight out of the roadrunner. Yes. And then, of course, they do several iterations of trying to flip the can, which again is straight out of the roadrunner. Yes. Uh, where the coyote would have several goes at the same thing. And look, I actually thought that was quite funny. But yeah, it wasn't bad. And uh, an element of that appears in the title sequence. Yes, with Graham having the weight land on top of him. I enjoyed that sequence, actually. I mean, I, know, I was a big fan of the, the sort of the Looney Tunes cartoons at that time so to see that sort yeah of likewise uh, was uh, funny they obviously aren't successful in getting rid of the uh, the can of soup so they decide the next best thing they can do is to eat it yes and that scene actually i don't know why whether it's the particular shade of green or the fact that they then start eating paint <laughs> something inside me wasn't laughing but was just feeling a little bit nauseous <laughs> but actually that stuff whatever they were using for the nerve gas it looks foul is yeah, it like a cordial? Is it a water I, I assume it was some sort of green cordial, but yeah. um, no, it has a particular shade of green that just screams poison. So. Yeah, it yeah. does. It does. That was one of my funny lines. They're talking about how can I do tomato soup? It's bright green. Maybe the tomatoes aren't ripe yet. <laughs> and he puts the paint in. They said, "It can't be tomato soup if it's green. Perhaps it's pea." And Bill says, "Well, it's certainly not soup." But <laughs> yes. Yeah. They then hit on the idea that they can flog it to service stations and roadside stations because Graham's tasted that taste before. Yeah, which I guess is a straight commentary on roadhouse food. The stag vomiting, there was a roadhouse company that did use the stag as their rampaging stag as their emblem. So it is actually a pot shot at an actual company. But uh, Yes, yeah, so they managed to sell it as coffee, as oxtail, and all sorts of uh, well, various it's sold things. as coffee, scotch broth, Oxtail soup, Worcester sauce, beef tea, and paraffin. 
And then finally, when they can't sell it as food, though, later on in the episode, they start selling it as petrol. Uh, yes. Well, they're inventive if nothing else. Now, of course, we then, having eaten the tomato soup, Tim in particular starts getting sick. Yes. And comes out of the toilet with a red nose. Now, of course, we then get to make a joke about Tim being a bit effeminate because he's wearing lipstick. Yes. <laughs> and this, this clearly, from the way you're saying yes, this clearly is where the episode starts to take a downward turn for you. Yes. <laughs> Would you like to elucidate? Look, I just didn't find it funny. I don't find clowns funny. I don't find the routines they did funny. You're not a clownophobic, are you? No, no I just don't find them funny. And the goodies are better than this, you know. I watch the goodies for clever visual gags, for a certain amount of witticism, for some clever dialogue. And clowns are the, to me, antithesis of what the goodies are. And I don't find three men in makeup and silly hats and feeding everything funny. I, I get that they're sending up the trope, but in sending it up, they're mimicking it to an extent that it... I just didn't enjoy it. It's interesting you say that, Dave, because I've heard you say before that season five represents the peak of a series, and yet this episode, which is, I think it's the second episode, yeah. is a bit of a letdown for you, clearly. Look, it is for me, but I'm, I acknowledge that for a lot of people it's a very well-regarded and iconic episode. Well, this was actually intended originally as the first episode. Yeah. was they swapped it with movies. And, and look, the audience is clearly enjoying it. I think the goodies themselves are clearly having a lot of fun. Well, I think when they do the, the whole, I mean, we go through this, the, the stop motion sequence where Tim obviously starts to become a clown, they start putting yes. the makeup on. Mm. But there's the whole scene where they're back in the major's office, uh, they're doing the, the clown routine basically to the audience. Yes. And the audience really are, seem to be quite enjoying it. Mm. I mean, I, look, I can understand, I mean, you know, the court jester from centuries ago was a sort of a precursor to the clown and all that sort of thing. Mm. And then even so, the goodies are sort of a follow-on you know, comedians and that sort of thing are a follow-on from what clowns were doing in a, in a sort of a more different context. But, I, look, I, I'm a bit with Dave. I don't find the humour much in clowns. The, the sort of the slapstick doesn't necessarily wash with me. So and, and the sort of the, the, the Mediterranean voices they're putting on... Well, just, that, that just, is a take-off of actually quite a famous clown. The, uh, one, the, one, the one Bill's doing. That's right, I get that. Uh, it just, as I say, I think it's, very, it's not so much that I think it's very dated. It's, oh, yeah. it's, not, it's not a reference that we sort of get or resonate. No, and that's the problem there. I think that a, re- a reference like that had no resonance with me at all. So I was just like, okay, well, they're doing a funny voice, which I personally find objectionable, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just a bit... Off. Off. Okay. We'll, we'll date it. I, I, yeah. You're right, probably in terms of the dating. I think the days of the clown on TV probably are gone. Um, one note that I did make here, though, and given that Get Smart would have been well and truly sort of out and done by now... It's a great shame that the moment where the Major says, don't tell me you went and ate the soup, is just begging for a, a, we ate the soup, I asked you not to tell me that. <laughs> I thought it was big. I, I thought that's where they were going to go for I asked you not to tell me that, but no, they didn't go that, which was a shame. It then has, look, some good lines, you know, well, I'll be hornswoggled. You know, private life has nothing to do with us. <laughs> yes. We then get to the other guest star in this, is only in it for a scene, which is Peter Dinley, is it pronounced? Oh, or yes. Dinley? He's Jeff Tracy in the Thunderbirds. Yes, he's also the countdown guy. Yeah, so quite well known, and he's got a whole lot of other credits as well, but that's by far the thing he's best known for. And he actually, they've retained his voice. He actually appears in the new Thunderbirds. Oh, okay. Uh, again, he only does the countdown, Yep. because Jeff Tracy's not in the new one. But Interesting to point here, and I don't know whether it's a deliberate joke or an error, is when the general's explaining what the plot's all about, he says they're going to make the United Kingdom the 52nd state. Yes. Now, given there are only 50 states, I don't know whether that was just an error or it's meant to be a reference to something else. Yeah, it seemed to be odd, didn't it? I don't know. I 
I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure where he thinks the 51st state is. <laughs> Maybe it's Britain. Vietnam. They <laughs> <laughs> still think they can win. Sorry. <laughs> At this point, of course, the population of Britain is being turned into clowns. Yes. Which is explained to be the Americans' plan because they want to invade Britain and make them yes. the 52nd state. We then get the Prime Minister in clown makeup. Yes. Which by this time, we've had a change of Prime Minister. It's now Harold Wilson back for his second time in number 10. And the only reason you can tell it's him is because he's smoking his trademark pipe. <laughs> and, of course, we have Corbett Woodall appearing again as the newsreader. Yes, uh, in clown makeup. Yes. What a trooper. What a trooper. Now, I, I did have a note here that uh, in, in keeping with BBC productions of the time, uh, the invading US Army is eight <laughs> men. <laughs> yeah, look, that was interesting. The... The idea itself wasn't a bad one, but it's so badly done. Like, there are moments in the goodies where you get away with cheap because it's done in a clever way. When you're trying to do the invasion of Britain, and it literally is the goodies versus eight marines, (laughs) it just doesn't quite... Like, like the imagination doesn't quite stretch, you know? No, no, that's a suspension of disbelief. No, it's just a little too much. Maybe the... Ludicrousness of the image is what they were hoping to generate laughs. Well, I, I think that's the thing because they get into the film sequence quite quickly, so I suppose they're hoping maybe you won't notice. <laughs> yeah, shut your eyes at this point. Oh, here, here we go. Yeah, yeah, and look, I thought there was some good stuff in there. I mean, again, and I think it's mostly with Graham, the bit with Graham with the grenade in his pants, and and the bit where, and again, straight out of the Roadrunner, where of course he gets the landmine, and of yeah. course he can do what he wants with it, mm. but as soon as the marine goes near it, it explodes. Yes. They then have the final sequence, yes, which really comes out of nowhere and and obviously relies on a blackface gag to work. Yes, and a southern white plantation owning gag. Yes. You know? Colonel Sanders-ish? Yes, perhaps. Yeah, really contemporary stuff, straight out of Gone with the Wind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I, I think it was that that was a little bit gauche. You almost get the impression that they really didn't know how to end it. They've just written this bit where the, the American Marines are about to come and really mess them up, and they, they need a way to get out of it. Look, it does fit in the, insofar as the whole episode is a riff on American culture yeah. and America at that time. So if you're going to go with something that is American flavour to end it, yeah, okay, maybe you can go with that. But it is offensive, and it mm. is pretty stupid. Mm. Yeah, look, it is. I mean, the the idea that not only does the fact that they are now ashen-faced because of the mm. smoke means that the plantation owner decides to round them up, but they just go with it. Yeah. yeah. You know, r- rather than, you know, get a bit of spit on the face and wash it, you know, whatever. And and of course, yeah, it's cotton picking time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, what can you say? Look, for an episode that I really was going rapidly downhill for me for about the 10 minutes beforehand... It, it wasn't a good finish, and I, I was very happy to end this one, I'm yeah, sorry look, to say. I, I think, I mean, it is, I, I've just said it is offensive, but I think it's even more offensive in terms of, it's not a funny way to end the episode, and they've just run out of ideas, and, you know, we're just going to pass this off on the audience, and off we go. Mm. It doesn't, doesn't work, unfortunately. I, I would be interested to know whether the idea for this episode was, hey, wouldn't it be funny to have us as clowns, and then they just worked out how to get there, or they did the whole American stuff and didn't know where to go and said, hey, what if this turned us into clowns? And then it just mm. went off this, some way. This had screened after the fall of Saigon, is that right? Uh, no, no. 
It was after the American withdrawal. I was just going to say, if it had been said after the fall of Saigon, then they could have gone with a riff on the, the helicopter leaving. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, the, the US had gone, but no, Saigon didn't fall till Ford was in the office. Yeah. So, yeah. So, look, guys, I think I've made my view on this very clear. It's not my favourite episode. It, it just doesn't work for me, I'm sorry. But what about you guys? As I said at the start, I think there is enough imagery in there that it is regarded, I think, as one of the sort of more iconic episodes. I mean, everyone remembers the goody. And probably the fact having the three of them, the bit where they're running through the American base in the opening credits, yeah. probably didn't hurt that idea that that's just one of the great episodes of the goodies. Watching it back now, maybe it's an age thing. Maybe it was more relevant in 1975. Yeah, maybe. I think, and it really perhaps now just doesn't land. I mean, look, I remember enjoying it as a, as a kid because there was a lot of slapstick-type humour in it that, that was very broad. But it's not a bad episode, but I think it's quite patchy. Uh, look, again, I agree. It, 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 bits of it work, certain scenes in it work, certain imagery in it works. But now as an adult, it, a lot of it just unfortunately falls flat. Mm. Interesting. Well, we'll see how others feel about it. We'll move then on to our regular segments, which now starts with tropes. So we've got a David Frost reference. Yes. Corbett Woodall turns up. Yes. Any others? Oh, I, don't have, I have those exact two. Basically. No, well, I suppose it's, it's new that I'm making fun of the Prime Minister again because he's changed. So, I, 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 Well, I guess, yeah, it is the first Harold Wilson joke. We do get various iterations of that, most particularly in Goody's Rule OK. Yes. He, he turns up quite a bit in that, but we'll come to that later. What couldn't they get away with today? Well, obviously the ending. The ending, yes. I think that the accents and the ethnic humour and the clown sequence just wouldn't be done today. No, the Italian uh, accents, the, the faux accents, no, it doesn't work. No. No, I don't know whether you really do the bulk of this episode now, because oh, I, I think it's just very dated. Almost more than anything, because both the A and the B plots, and indeed, as you said, the ending, are just of their time. Mm. It's, it's America in the post-Vietnam Watergate era. It's clowns, which just... Uh, have never been a big thing in Australia, but to the extent they were, they're just not anymore now. And, yeah, you couldn't do the ending. So it, it, it really is... It's an interesting example of it being of its time, and there, there's stuff in here that I can look at and appreciate, but that's about the limit, limit of it. Mm. On that note, what about our favourite gags? Since I'm probably the one that struggled most with this episode, I'll, I'll go first and I'll take the, well, I'll be hornswoggled. Your private life is just not my business. <laughs> Uh, that that's going to be my one, Richard. I had a couple. I, I had the line about the tomato soup being green, and perhaps it was pea uh, from earlier. That was that was quite a good joke. The other stuff I had was was probably trying to dispose of the can. I, I think particularly the bit where they're trying to launch it with the the giant soup can flipper. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and that speaks to what Dave has said previously about every scene is full of gags. I mean, they could have just simply rolled that down the ramp, but they you know they, they're standing on it and they're, they're doing all sorts of different things. The I went with a sight gag, the, the 30s sign with the vomiting deer. <laughs> that, that's just a love. I mean, you can just look at that scene and then miss that entirely, but if you're concentrating, it, just the, the way they've contorted the deer <laughs> and there's little dots coming out of its mouth. I, I must admit, I did actually quite like the bit where they where they first take the, the bowl of uh, soup to the back of the restaurant, the guy's going through the bin, <laughs> and then they give him and he sort of squishes around, spits it back in the bowl and goes, yep. <laughs> I did think that was quite funny as well. Yeah, look, look, and, and again, I've said this before, one of the good things about the goodies is that even if you don't enjoy the episode overall, there's, there are good gags in there and there's some good stuff in there. So, yeah, look, it is what it is. And it's certainly an iconic episode. I think. Certainly a well-remembered episode. Next week, we'll be back with one that is perhaps a more obscure episode, it's fair to say. Certainly not one that's in 
the public consciousness as much, but we'll discuss that next week, and that is, of course, chubby chumps. Hmm. So, whilst you're trying to lose weight, I recommend you take a walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. Tomato soup. It's bright green. So the tomatoes went right. <laughs> Drink it up, it's the only way we're going to get rid of it. Oh, come on, this can't be tomato soup if it's green. Perhaps it's pea. <laughs> Certainly not soup. <laughs>